your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Richard Franzi. And oh, do we have a great show planned for you in this segment. This is podcast number 1011. As an internationally renowned, bilingual, bicultural speaker and author, Dr. Betty Rebe credits value-based leadership as her secret to success. And in her latest book, Hashtag Values, she guides readers into the secrets of top-level performance and the call for better leadership. Dr. Betty joins us on Critical Mass Radio Show. I've invited her here to discuss more how we can apply value-based leadership skills within your firms. Betty, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to having you here for some time. Um, Let's go back. The book, I'm holding up the book. For those of you watching the live stream on Facebook, you can see a copy of the book. It's available. We'll talk about how you can get your own copy, all the usual places, but we'll cover that a a little bit later in the interview. But maybe we could start by just, what was it like when you first, I heard you speak Friday at the Women's Summit, talking about coming to the United States, not understanding and speaking the language. So take our audience back to what it was like for you at that time. I think you were 14? I was 12. 12. Yes. I was 12 years old, and all of a sudden, my mother calls us into the room, my three brothers and I, and says, I'm not going to stay here any longer. I'm leaving, but I'm leaving the country. And uh, Not just leaving your father. Not just leaving my father, leaving the country. And you can stay here. You could go uh, with me, and I'm going to America. And uh, she would no longer tolerate his infidelity and his alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to just get the heck away. Sure. uh, Pretty drastic. You know, it it was drastic because... She was, for all intents and purposes, she was doing very well. I mean, my father was a millionaire. We had a beautiful home. We had maids. We had all kinds of different things. And so coming to America from being a a wealthy girl to becoming a very poor girl at the age of 12. Overnight. Just literally in an airplane ride (laughs) i became poor at the age of 12 so that was that was interesting and leaving my dad i was daddy's little girl sure yeah two brothers and and you and my brothers yeah my three brothers and i three brothers sorry and uh in leaving my family my roots my family my friends i was very popular in school did really well and then Coming to a place where I didn't know the language or the culture or what to expect and in learning everything from the ground up and starting literally from zero. So it was it was difficult. Doing chores and manual labor just to make yeah. ends meet. Yeah. Yes. I, I didn't even know how to make my bed. <laughs> I, had to, I had to learn. I, oh I learned. I took a humility pill yes. on the way here. And yeah, I had to clean houses. And, uh, and I ended up becoming literally the maid of my house uh-huh. at the age of 12. I had to, my, my family had to endure many burnt uh, meals and, uh, and, you know, doing the dishes and taking care of everything and then studying at night when everybody was sleeping so that I could get my studies done. Right. That was a big priority right. for me. That's an inspiring yeah. way to start this interview to realize where you had to reset and come from in this culture, in this country, in this language. Yes. And now we're sitting here today with your book, which is a part of your Ph.D. dissertation. So congratulations. Thank you. And that's, that is Thank you, Rick. awesome. Right? Thank you very much. I love that story. Love you. Love what <laughs> you've been you. able to do and Thank love you your so focus. Much. So let's let's talk a little bit about the book. Okay. Okay. Um, 
let's start with the inspiration for I know I know the foundation of this was your PhD dissertation, correct? Yes, it was my okay. dissertation, absolutely. Okay. But you chose to focus and research and talk to successful leaders in a bunch of different areas, which you can tell us about, specifically in the area of values. Why that area? I think if you take me back to that decision that I got to make at the age of 12, leaving a life of luxury to come to a different life. And that was, I think, my my very first values-based decision I made in my life was to come mm-hmm. for principle, to come for values. My mother wanted to live a life of peace, and she wanted to give us a different future. How many times in our life do we find people that will marry or will stay with someone and will do that because they're wealthy, Quite frankly, my mother chose not to do that. She chose to come for what she called a better life. Wow. And it was a life of values. Wow, that's a redefinition of better life, right? Yes, absolutely. And it was a life of peace where, where we got to work to get to where we wanted to get instead of having it handed to us in a silver platter. So that was the genesis, I think. And I've always talked, it's funny, because employees from different companies from the last 20 years just did a reunion for me, and they came back and they said, you've always talked about values. Wow. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when you led us, you've always centered yourself around values and living a life of value. So I think it's just always been in the fiber of my life, in my family, in my culture, because that's what my mother embedded in us. And uh, and then also, in 2007, when the economy started going down, mm-hmm. I and this is around the time when I decided to go back to school and get my doctorate. The, the, you already had your MBA in finance, I had right? my MBA in okay. finance and strategy yeah. from Pepperdine University. Yay! Yay, Pepperdine. Exactly. And, uh, and, and then I decided 10 years later to go back to school, and I chose to study values because as the company started going down, as the economy started going down, we saw the headlines in the newspapers were headlines of leaders who were role models who all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, one decision, and they were down. Yes. And they started coming down, coming down, coming down. Companies would be bringing whole economies down. Individuals from different backgrounds. You had people from clergy. You had people from government, from business, from sports. Uh, from education all over. And so I wanted to study and find out, okay, so these were the role models of yesterday. There have to be other role models. And how is it that they're able to maintain their position and their values, permeate those values through their organization, and create sustainable high results? Right, the merit of the two. Early in the book, you talk about how people don't live their values and then things like that show up they they espouse one thing but their inner thoughts are different than their outer actions until there's a catalyst or an event where you get to see behind the curtain yes you talked about it it can be business it can be sports it can be hollywood it can be politics it's amazing and once you see the real them they can never get back what I mean, it's hard for them to get back. It's very difficult. You know, Stephen Covey talks a lot about uh, 
trust, building trust. And I had a long conversation with Stephen Covey when he decided to endorse my book. And we were talking about building trust. He has this book, The Speed of Trust, Mm -hmm. and it's one of my favorite books. And building trust is like making deposits into the bank, right? You're going to build trust. And then if you you make enough deposits, then you can withdraw. But, But building trust begins with having a core value system. You can't build trust if you are not congruent, meaning if your actions are not aligned with what you say your values are. Right. And people pick that up in a leader, right? Yes. I don't think leaders appreciate always, especially, so my audience are CEOs, leaders of lower middle market companies, and many of them don't appreciate how sampled they are by the workforce. People watching them for what their actions tell them about that. Person. I'll tell you something. I always say we sneeze, they feel a hurricane. <laughs> and I always say that we as leaders, we are in a magnifying glass. We walk in the room and people have us in a magnifying glass. They're going to watch our actions rather than our conversation. Let's face it, talk is cheap. And I said that to the thousand women on, right. on Friday. Right. But it's really our actions that are going to show people what our values truly are. And if you really want to know what your values are, look at your calendar. Right. That's going to tell you exactly what your values truly are. Whatever you spend your time on, that's going to be... So in the book, you draw the link between your priorities and your values. Yes. And you also talk about how when people under stress show you a side of them take a fr- you quoted take someone a front row take seat. a front row and observe I did Andy my coach from yes. a long time ago yes. he said hey you watch people under stress and, and, and pay attention and pay attention to yourself right so a great leader is one that is able to look at themselves acting out however it is that they're going to be acting out okay. it's not just acting it but really observing yourself and saying wait a minute how am i acting right now and so in the moment of stress of high stress there is uh, an urgency in the organization or there's an urgency walking out of the house in the morning and your child calls you and says daddy i need you mm-hmm. what are you going to do that's right. what's going to tell your child what's most important exactly right right likewise the same thing for your employees if you tell your employees you're the most important thing and you are the most valuable asset in this company and all of this (laughs) and you go off and do everything for your customers but you don't take care of your employees what are you telling your employees your actions are showing something completely different and isn't that worse that is worse to say one thing and do another when they know there's not a congruency there. Absolutely, because people don't know where they stand. They don't know what to expect from you. So what happens is if they don't know what to expect from you, there's no consistency, there's no congruency, they're going to make up their own answers to their own questions. And nine times out of ten, those answers are going to be negative. Exactly. Well, you, you talked about Stephen Covey Jr. and his book, and he talks about the trust tax, which is how... Organizations that are low trust actually take longer to make decisions because people can't accept what is said at face value. Exactly. They spend all this energy figuring it out. Yeah, well, the employees will say, now, I wonder what he was coming from or where she was coming from. I wonder what they're trying to do. Yes. What's the motive behind this? And and if you think about people getting on the phone and calling and you say, hey, did you hear this or did you see this memo that just came out? What do you think that was oh about? My what are they up to? Oh, my gosh. I wonder if they're going to be making a change. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
Maybe we have to worry about our job and all of these things that begin to get exploited in people's minds yes. when something as simple as. Let me tell you where I'm coming from. Right. This is where we are. And then for people to be able to say, how wonderful would it be like for people to just say, I believe him. Right. I he told me her. that. He, I t- she told me that. So I believe it. And that's good enough for me. That's good I'm enough for me. I'm going to get back to work now. Yeah. So wow. the speed yes. of decisions, the speed of implementation, things happen a lot quicker when there is a high level of trust. Right. We're talking with Dr. Betty Rive. We're talking about her book, and I'll hold it up for those on the live stream for Facebook. It's hashtag values. It's work that she did at Pepperdine for her dissertation. But this this reads, this is a good read, ladies and gentlemen. That's why she's been recognized by so many publications and institutions for the impact this book is having on global business. We're going to talk about that. Can we talk about that when we come back? Absolutely. All right. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back with Dr. Betty Uribe after this brief word from me. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sound board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Exciting times here on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast, talking with Dr. Betty Uribe. Before we get back to that conversation, I just want to say a great way to stay informed about our guests, like Dr. Betty, is to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Simply go to my company's website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com, at the bottom of any page. Any page is a join our mailing list box. Simply enter your email address. Hit subscribe, and like magic, you'll start receiving our weekly newsletter. We don't do anything else with your information but subscribe you for our newsletter, which will tell you about our great guests and sometimes special insights from me. So when we were at break, we were talking about the latest. Yes. Yes. So tell us about what Inc. just announced. It was very exciting because it was a total surprise. I wake up this morning and I'm reading through my LinkedIn and there was someone by the name of Maria and she was also part of this uh, Inc. magazine, I guess, published a list of the top 60 business and leadership books written by women. And my book was part of the list and it was just such a quite Big honor, big surprise, and it was just a wonderful day to wake up to. Right, and and, um, and that's not the only recognition you've received for the work that you've done with this book. If we started the list, it might take up too much. It might take up the entire <laughs> block. So just let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to give you Betty's uh, website here a little bit later in the interview, Absolutely. and you you can see the the reception that you've received to this, and you know the back jacket, the people that have commented on the quality of this book. Why do you think? There's been such a positive reception to this idea about values being the secret to top-level performance in business and in life. I think our world, on a global scale, 
if we take a look at what's going on in the world and then bring it down to our own backyard in the United States, what's happening on a global level, we've seen a lot of leaders that have faulted and we've seen the need for congruency in when people speak that their values be backing up what they speak. And if we see different companies and uh, on, a, on a even smaller scale, uh, the idea of bringing back trust in the media, in organizations, in leaders, in even the the Pope, when he came to visit, he talked about the family values and going back to the family values, the core values. And so we're, and we see it on television where you see some of the shows that are taking us back to the old times. Mm-hmm. The songs that we play on the radio are taking us back to the old times. And it's, it's almost feels like people just want to go back to the times when values meant something, when being a man or a woman of honor meant something. So you profile 18 leaders from business, industry, military, a bunch of different areas. Yes. Um, I believe in the power of peer learning. So to read your book and to see it's based on actual people and conversations, interviews that you've had with these successful people and understanding their value base, how did you how did you find them? And, and then how did you get them to say yes to being interviewed for you and possibly being your book? It was really interesting because uh, there was a criteria that I had, and there were three different pods. Uh, It was military leaders, and I ended up uh, with people, generals. They had to be military generals because I wanted to get to the very top. From the White House, the Pentagon, and from every area of military, it was business leaders from C-level executives in business or business leaders, and then C-level executives in finance. And I chose those three pods because when a country is being restored or a city is being restored, those are the three pillars that it takes to restore a country, that it takes to restore a city, that it takes to restore a community. To answer your question, how I got to them, basically word of mouth. People were known, they had to be known as values-based leaders whose actions aligned with their values, who made decisions based on their values, and who made a difference in, who made it a priority to make a difference in others. Mm -hmm. That was the criteria. So I started asking people, and I got into the White House and into the Pentagon through a referral of a client. Oh, my goodness. A client said, hey, have you thought about the military? There's so much to learn from the military. And I just know this general, and it was General Mick Kicklider. He was a four-star general in the U.S. Army in charge of the U.S. Army from the west of the United States to the east of China during the Saddam Hussein days. Huge lessons and a lot of secrets that he had never told anybody are in my book. And so once I interviewed one person, and then, of course, you know, birds of a feather fly together. Right. And so I would ask, do you know anybody that has similar values to you and who would you recommend? And then I, I would have to check them out. So for some of the business leaders, like Bob Carr, for example, from Heartland Payment Systems, he's now sold it and started a new company. He, I checked out his employees. 
many levels down from him, and I checked out uh, through his peer group, and he checked out to be a true values-based leader, wow. and so that's how he he landed in my book. So likewise, a lot of research went into each of the 19 leaders that I have in the book. Right. That's awesome uh, to, to read about them and see the diversity that you have. And for those of you, many who listen to the Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast, you also like to take self-assessments. And early in the book, there's an opportunity to do just that. Yes. Yes. I have the Rokish value system in the book. And uh, there are two different types of values that you could test yourself for, terminal values and instrumental values. Terminal values are those values that you will have at your deathbed, at the end of the uh, at the end of your life, and then the instrumental values are the values that you utilize throughout your life and throughout your leadership journey. So you can actually take the test. I have the actual test in there. Yes, and, and then what's great, and I didn't realize it. And so maybe I shouldn't say this, but there's great content that follows up about some common ways that people responded, value-based leaders. So I don't want to give away too much because it was really great for me to take it not knowing that. Oh, wonderful. Yes. And then you, oh, look how I, how do I. How do I measure these great leaders? And what can can I learn? And what can I learn from them? Because the earlier conversation about your values are based on where you're focused and your priorities are. Yes. So that brings it all right together in the early part of the book. Absolutely. So this it is does. this isn't only a learning tool, it's a tool that you can learn about yourself from. Yes. Not absolutely. Just uh, from a personal life and from a business life. It's right. it's, it's Well, you're the same person. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. At home, yes. at work? At least you should be. Well, let's hope. Right? If you're value-centered person, <laughs> yes. it would be incongruent I think to have a set of it values at work and home. That is correct. I mean, with minor adjustments, yeah. right? Okay. So um, what in, what words of advice do you have for a CEO or business owner out there who says, you know, I've got a book that I want to write, and I don't know that I'm going to go and get a PhD and get a dissertation as the foundation, but what words of inspiration might you have for someone else who wants to write a book? What could you tell them about the successful now having written the book? It's not as difficult as it seems to be. And if anyone has an idea and has an opportunity to make an impact, what a better way to make an impact than to put it down and make it accessible to other people. A lot of times we carry ideas with us or we carry something that we can make a difference for someone. And maybe we share it with one person and that's wonderful. Or maybe we we share it with a center of influence and that's also wonderful because maybe they will take it out to their mm-hmm. to their core group when you write a book uh, there are two things that i that i think for myself one it's a wonderful opportunity to make an impact yesterday i spoke to some girls in a school in san bernardino at a university and i brought and donated some books and it was wonderful because they get to know you through your book they you get to impart the wisdom and then when they're done with it they can pass it on to somebody else and it's your words that are being passed on it's not their interpretation of your words it literally is your words so what better way to do that and then you know hopefully i can get it translated and sent it out to send it out to different countries Mm -hmm. now it's simple it's not easy right but it's simple uh, for for someone who's brand new writing, now I did a lot of writing in my doctorate and in my sure. master's and all of that, but somebody who's brand new writing, there are people who specialize in writing. 
and in helping you ghostwrite. Yes. I actually had someone, Beth Lauding, and she actually supported me in getting the book, in uh, getting the dissertation volumes, which were volumes of research, <laughs> in the format Not this. of a book. <laughs> Not 270 or whatever your yeah, book is. Yeah, when you're managing a right. bank, when you're leading a bank, yeah, it's a really hard job to there. go. Right. So, so, so get some help, and it's right. okay. You don't need to do it all on your own. And give them credit. And absolutely. Which I love about you. You just were willing to stand on that, which is awesome. Absolutely. Uh, We only have a few minutes left. The engineer's telling me we're coming up against it. But I didn't want to leave this without asking you to talk about your commitment to creating endowments and for people to go to school on the seven continents. Thank you for that. Absolutely. And thank you for asking. My goal is to give 100 scholarships to underserved kids in each continent by the time I am 80 years old. I started in Kenya three years ago, and that was before the book ever came out. And uh, through the Unstoppable Foundation, if you go into my website, Mm -hmm. you'll see the Unstoppable Foundation. You can click there and you can make a direct donation, and it'll count for my goal. In uh, here in Southern California, uh, Bob Carr donated one million dollars the day the book came oh out. Oh my God! And I worked with President Strupa from Chapman University to greatly reduce the uh, the tuition costs so that we could make those million dollars count for fifty four oh underserved God. kids <laughs> in Orange County, Woo-hoo! right here in Southern wow. California. Charity starts will at be home. going to. School. Wow. Yes. What an impact. It's wonderful. I'm yeah. very, very humbled. But we don't do it alone. It takes a village. It, does, and it takes. It? And if you wanted to know about that, too, you could go into my website, and there is uh, Bob Carr's Foundation. You just click on that, and you donate, and it goes to kids right here in the United mm-hmm. States. So very exciting. So how does someone get to your website, Betty? You just go to www.drbettyuribe.com. And we're going to spell that now. B-E-T-T-Y-U-R-I-B-E. And doctor is D-R. D-R. Right? Okay. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, Google it. Go to her website. It's a beautiful website. Thank you. Uh, you really have set it up very well. It, it, there's a lot of great additional information that complements the book. And if people want to buy the book, is that the best place to go to your website? Yes, they can go to the website, and they can, or they can go to Barnes & Noble. They can go to Amazon. I've got all of the clicks right there in the website, so it's really simple. Yes, and... A good read. I highly recommend it. If you're a leader of people, regardless of the number of people, or you aspire to be a leader of people, even if you're a leader of one yourself, this is a good place to start. I I really think this is a needed message that hopefully will influence the next generation of leaders to be, tr- be true to themselves. Absolutely. For generations to come. Amen. All right. Thank you for being a friend of the program. Thank you so much, Rick. I absolutely love your program. I love what you do for leaders in the community. Thank you. You have made a difference for my leaders at California Bank and Trust and for my team as well. So whatever you do, continue to do it because I am a big champion (laughs) of your work. And, you know, I've I've known a lot of wonderful leaders, but uh, people like you are very hard to find. Selfless, brilliant, And you get the best out of people, and I just love what you do. So thank you so much. Thank you.
Wow, that was unexpected, but much appreciated. Thank you, Dr. Betty. All right, our engineer for today's show is none other than the station owner, Mr. Paul Roberts. We're lucky to have him in the chair today, as well as our producers are Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass Radio Show or the peer groups that I lead, visit my website, Critical Mass for Business. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show. Focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.